just before Christmas, I discovered something that I found quite interesting. I discovered why tinsel is called tinsel. And it was quite a surprise, in fact. I don't know if anyone else here this morning knows why tinsel is called tinsel, where that comes from, where the word comes from, what it means. Okay, we're going to learn something then. It actually comes from a French word. And the word for spark in French is étincelle. Uh, And apparently that's where we get the word tinsel from. Who would have guessed? We call tinsel tinsel because of a French word that means sparkly. But it was a reminder to me that words have meanings and words have origins that sometimes we don't know or sometimes we forget about. And there are actually two or three words that I'd like us to think about this morning um, that, that are like that. As Lou has already said, with the start of this new year, we're starting a new series. Going back to the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, which is what we started looking at just over a year ago. As you know, Matthew is the first of four Gospels that we have in the Bible, four different accounts of the life of Jesus, named after the people who wrote them. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark and Luke are all quite similar. There's a lot we can learn just from reading through them. John's Gospel is quite different from the others. But all four Gospels tell us about Jesus. They tell us about uh, things he said. They tell us things he did. And they tell us who Jesus is. In fact, Matthew begins by telling us who Jesus is in the very first sentence And it's worth looking at, if you have a Bible, or if you can turn to it, uh, feel free to look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And this is what Matthew writes at the very start of his gospel. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So Matthew tells us right from the beginning of his gospel that his focus is on Jesus. And he begins at the beginning. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. The word for genealogy is the word Genesis. So just like the very first book of the Bible, this is the genesis of Jesus the Messiah. And Matthew wants us to know about Jesus. He wants to explain where Jesus has come from. And it's important to explain his origins because Jesus is the Messiah. Not only does he say that in the very first verse, he repeats it again and again and again. So let me read a little bit more from the middle of the first chapter, starting at verse 16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. 
and on it goes. But let me ask you, what does the word Messiah mean? And what does it mean that Jesus is the Messiah? So I'm going to let you think about that for a minute and talk about it if you want to with the person uh, sitting next to you or across from you. What does the word Messiah mean? And what does it mean that Jesus is the Messiah? If you don't want to talk, that's completely fine. You can just sit quietly for a minute. But equally, feel free to chat with the people around you if you want to do that. So just have a little think or a little chat. Okay, I'm not going to let you go on for too long, but what ideas did you come up with for what the word Messiah means? Can you shout them out? Saviour? Absolutely. Anything else? Don't be shy. Christ, King. Saviour of the world. It, do, it does mean a lot of things because uh, it's a word, even though it's not a very common word, it is a word that we use from time to time. But the word Messiah literally means anointed. It has to do with pouring oil on someone, which sounds a bit strange, I agree, but it's all part and parcel of someone being chosen to be king. So it's what happened when David was chosen to be king of Israel. It's what happened when Saul was chosen as the very first king of Israel. It's even what we do at the coronation of our kings and queens. So it happened when Elizabeth II was crowned queen uh, back in the 1950s. It's also what happened to priests and sometimes to prophets in the Old Testament times. So people who had an important role serving God, people who were chosen, were anointed with oil. It does seem a strange thing to do, but that's what happened. In his gospel, Matthew tells us that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, during the time of King Herod, wise men came from the east and asked this question, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? And when King Herod heard that, his reaction was he was disturbed because he was the king. And so he called together the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he asked them this question, where was the Messiah to be born? Because King Herod knew about the Messiah. He knew about the prophecies. He knew that the Messiah and the one to be born king of the Jews would be the same person. So first, the primary meaning of this word Messiah is anointed, anointed to be king. And Jesus the Messiah means Jesus the king, first and foremost. And that's where Matthew is beginning right at the start of his gospel. And the word gospel, by the way, means announcement. So Matthew is announcing that Jesus is right from the world go, that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised, chosen, anointed, eternal King. So let's stop and ask ourselves another question. 
Is that how we think about Jesus? Here we are at the start of a new year. It's worth reflecting about how we think about Jesus. Do we relate to Jesus as a king? Is that how we regard him? Is that how we think about him? Matthew is underlining right from the word go that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the anointed, promised king. And I think he does that to, in a sense, put us on alert for what is going to follow. He's wanting to raise our expectations for what we're going to read next in Matthew's Gospel. And he wants to increase our anticipation for how this story of Jesus is going to unfold. And so the next person that Matthew writes about, the next person that Matthew introduces us to is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is presented by Matthew to us as a prophet. A prophet that people have been waiting for. A prophet with a message who is preparing the way. A prophet who is getting people ready for the arrival of someone who will be much greater than he is and much more powerful than they can begin to imagine. And what is the message that John the Baptist has come to bring? It's a message about a kingdom. So he talks about Jesus and the Messiah, and then he has a message about a kingdom. It fits together. And it's God's kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven. And John's message is what? That the kingdom is near that the kingdom has come near, that the kingdom is at hand. And this is a revolutionary message. Just as people were waiting for the promised Messiah, they were also looking forward to a kingdom that God was going to put in place, a kingdom that would be unlike any other kingdom the world had ever seen. So even though we all live in the United Kingdom even though we have a long history of kings and queens ruling over us, it's probably something that we don't actually think that much about, being part of a kingdom, this idea of a kingdom. And in the world that we all live in, we're encouraged to believe in independence. We're told that we're free to live however we want to live. We rule ourselves And even though the monarchy still exists, it has no real power over us. Some of us might listen to the Queen's speech on Christmas Day, but for many people, what the Queen has to say is almost irrelevant. She's perhaps a figurehead for our nation, but not much more than that. And the world that we live in influences the way that we think about things. So it influences the way that we think about kingdoms and kings And it can be helpful for us to remember that there is that influence when we come to read what Matthew has to tell us. John the Baptist's message was very relevant for the people he spoke to. They were ruled by the Roman Empire, and life wasn't easy. The people at the time were longing for change. They were waiting for the Messiah They were waiting for the kingdom that God had promised. And John called people to repent, to change their their way of behaving, to change their way of thinking. 
And he wasn't afraid to challenge the authorities either by speaking out against them, which is almost certainly why he ended up in prison, as Matthew tells us. And when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, what did he do? What did Jesus do? What was the first thing Jesus did when he heard that John the Baptist had been put in prison? It's quite surprising, really, but if we read in Matthew, he tells us that Jesus withdrew to Galilee. And that's the region where he had grown up. We know that uh, he was, Jesus was baptized by John in the River Jordan, and then he went and spent time in, in the desert, in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil. So Jesus has been away from home for a while. And when he hears that John has been put into prison, he moves back to his hometown of Nazareth. And then he moves from Nazareth to another town. Do you know the other town that Jesus moves to? He moves to Capernaum which you may or may not have heard of, but it's a town that is right on the edge of the, of the Sea of Galilee. And from that time on, Matthew tells us, Jesus begins to preach. Matthew tells us that this is the beginning of something new. This is the beginning, like the beginning of a new season or the beginning of a new year. But what is the message that Jesus brings? What message does Jesus bring as he begins his preaching? Well, it's exactly the same message that John preached. John has been put in prison, but the message hasn't changed, which must mean that this is a message that still needs to be heard. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, or the kingdom of heaven is near at hand. So Matthew has made it clear to us that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed king. He's the one who comes after John the Baptist with exactly the same message, but Jesus is greater and much more powerful than John, as we're about to see. Let me read again the passage uh, that we had on the video earlier, starting in chapter 4 of Matthew's Gospel uh, and verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. It's not too difficult to to picture or to imagine this scene, is it? Matthew doesn't give us a lot of detail. It's quite straightforward. 
But what Jesus is doing is very striking, especially as it's the first thing that he does after he's begun to preach about the kingdom of heaven coming near. So he's walking beside the lake and he sees two fishermen at work, two ordinary men. And he speaks to them and he gives them an invitation. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. From what Matthew uh, tells us, we don't know if they already know each other or anything else about the background. But they respond immediately and they leave their nets behind. And then Jesus sees two other fishermen similarly at work in a boat with their father. And Jesus calls them too with exactly the same result. They immediately leave their boat, they leave their father, and they follow Jesus. And I don't know what strikes you most about this encounter, but the thing that stands out to me is the way that Jesus is conducting himself. His invitation, come, follow me. That could be the kind of an instruction that a king might issue. So without need for further explanation and seemingly without the, or with the expectation of unquestioning obedience, Jesus speaks and they obey, not just once, but with two sets of brothers in quick succession, without any hesitation and with no questions asked. And for me, this creates a very strong impression of who Jesus is and the obedience that he commands. If I carry on reading the passage now from verse 23 of Matthew 4, what follows next is also very interesting. So Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Jesus and John the Baptist both preached the same message about the kingdom. But as far as we know, John didn't heal anyone. The news of Jesus healing all kinds of sickness and disease is completely consistent with what John said about the one who would come after him. So Matthew is making it clear that Jesus is, as the Messiah, more powerful than any king or priest or prophet they ever imagined. Not only is Jesus proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of heaven, he is demonstrating that he has the power to completely transform people's situations. So it's not surprising that large crowds begin to follow Jesus. But it's interesting what Jesus chooses to do in response to seeing the large crowds. Matthew tells us that when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And you know, that's the very first mention of the word disciple or disciples in the Bible. And again, it's another one of those words like tinsel or gospel or Messiah or kingdom even. It's a word that has a meaning, but the question is, what is that meaning? So let me give you another minute. Again, you can talk with the people next to you or around you. 
and have a quick discussion about what you think the word disciple means or where the word disciple comes from. Okay, hopefully you've had enough time to think a little bit. The word disciple, what, what does it mean? Any suggestions? Sorry? Follower of Christ. Yeah, a disciple is one who follows. Any other suggestions? Learner, yes. So that is the original meaning. Literally, disciple means someone who learns, someone who is learning. Um, for, me, for me, disciple is a really important word. It's one that Matthew uses more than 70 times in his gospel. And if we were to ask the question, where is Matthew taking us through this gospel story? Where is it that Matthew wants to end up at the, at the end of the gospel? Where does he want to finish up? The answer is with this very same word, disciple. So the word disciple means learner or apprentice. To be a disciple is to continue to learn or to be taught. And John the Baptist had disciples, and so did Jesus. So Peter and Andrew and James and John were all disciples of Jesus. Jesus gave the priority to teaching, and he called people to follow him, to follow his teaching, and to follow his example, and to be with him so that they could see firsthand what the kingdom of heaven is like. Right at the end of Matthew's Gospel, we have Jesus' final instruction to his disciples. And the last thing that Jesus tells them to do is to go and make disciples of all nations. So Jesus wanted people to be his disciples. Jesus wants people to be his disciples. Jesus wants us to be his disciples. And Jesus wants us to make disciples. Jesus wants us to be disciples who make disciples. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to be looking at the next few chapters of Matthew's Gospel. And it's a section where Jesus is teaching his disciples. These chapters are known as the Sermon on the Mount. And they contain some very challenging ideas and instructions. So, if you have time, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 before next Sunday, and that will be really helpful. We begin to get an idea of what this kingdom is like, this kingdom that Jesus is the anointed king of. What we think about Jesus today and the way we relate to Jesus today matters. It really matters. What we think about Jesus makes a difference to how we live our lives today. What we think about Jesus makes a difference to what we do today. If Jesus is just a character written, a character from a story written long ago, then he might interest us or he might even inspire us, but only in the same way as other characters that we might have heard of or read about from books would inspire us. But if Jesus is more than just a character in a book, then we're not limited to only finding out about Jesus or simply knowing something about Jesus, like where he lived or where he came from or what he said or what he did. If Jesus is who Matthew says he is, then we can know Jesus ourselves, not just know about Jesus from someone else. 
And that's a great place to start from at the beginning of a new year. We can learn a lot about Jesus from reading Matthew's Gospel or from any of the other Gospels. And then because Jesus is not just a character in a book, but rather someone who is as real as you or me or anyone else that we might meet, we can listen to him and speak with him and get to know him more and more, just like the disciples did. And what an amazing opportunity we have to know and to be known by Jesus. So what I want to say to myself at the beginning of this new year is don't miss the opportunity to get to know Jesus better. I'm telling myself to take time to think about Jesus and make time to spend with Jesus. And you might be thinking the same thing. I hope you are, because that would be really encouraging. I read something yesterday that said that the plural of the word disciple is church. So let's pray together for God's help to grow together as disciples in the weeks and months ahead and for this new year to be the best year possible. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank, thank you for the things that Matthew wrote about in his gospel. Lord, we thank you that he wrote about you, he knew you, and what he knew about you, he shares with us, and we can learn from him, and we can learn from you. And Lord Jesus, that's what we want to be. We want to be your disciples. We want to understand uh, more what that means. We want to follow you. We want to respond to you. We want to obey you, just as your first disciples did, those fishermen who, who responded to your invitation to come and follow. And Lord, you transformed their lives, and we pray that you would also transform our lives, Lord. Uh, it doesn't matter how long we've known you or maybe we don't even know you yet, but we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come to us, that you would meet with us, that you'd help us to walk with you, that you would show us how to live life your way in your kingdom. And Lord, we pray that you would do this, that you'd bless us, that you'd help us to do that together as a church, that we might grow, that we might see you more and more clearly. And Lord, we ask all of these things in your precious name and for your glory. Amen.